Hi, I'm Val, and this is Outdoorsish Side Stories, a series of what will hopefully be a collection of smaller stories about single species or small areas that I don't think justify a full interview, but I find intriguing nonetheless. This is a bit different than what I originally planned for for the podcast, but trying to schedule interviews has proven to be a bit more difficult than I initially assumed after scheduling the first few. So these will hopefully work to fill gaps in the main content in a way that I hope is entertaining in a more casual way. But before we begin, a disclaimer. I'm not a biologist, chemist, nor do I have any real background in science. I have some basic knowledge of entry-level bio and chem, but some is beyond me. I do my best to read the papers and other sources I used, but it is possible that I will make an error. If you have knowledge of any of this bio or just happen to find something I was incorrect in, let me know and I will update the episode. That being said... I hope you enjoy. Hiking just past a seasonal waterfall called Tanaha Falls, part of the San Mateo Canyon Wilderness in Southern California, two of my friends and I were hiking along. We happened to see this distinctive red amphibian of some sort. I found this creature rather striking. None of us knew what it was, but we moved on. Little did I know this distinctive newt would become something I find extremely interesting, and luckily, one of my friends found out it was the California newt. Not only is this a rather bright red amphibian, it has a distinctive orange-yellow underbelly. This creature primarily resides in California, hence the name. It is also known as Tarika terosa, and it and a similar creature, the Sierra newt, Tarika sierra, were once thought to be two subspecies, but have since been found to have two different lineages. Newts are amphibians and live in moist habitats, including forests, grasslands, and chaparral, where water is present, some things that California has in abundance. So other than its color, what is so interesting about the California newt? Well, let's go back to my story from earlier. Imagine one of us had decided to try and make a dumb decision to grab this guy. Need I say never touch wild animals? But if we did, and happened to have a cut on our hands, it very well could have been the last decision we made. California newts are extremely toxic, enough to be fatal to most predators. If one were to threaten a newt, it raises its tail and head into an aggressive arc, showing its red skin and its bright orange belly. Bright colors, the almost universal sign of toxicity. The poison they produce is called tetrodotoxin, or TTX, a neurotoxin which blocks uptake of sodium into a creature's sodium-potassium pump. The sodium-potassium pump is how neurons send electrical signals to other cells. With this inhibited, the body cannot generate sufficient electric potentials to communicate with itself. This causes many problems, such as muscle paralysis and death. TTX will take effect, usually within either 10 to 45 minutes or 3 to 6 hours. Death usually occurs as early as 20 minutes or can go up to 24 hours, but the norm is 48. So if you think you might have been poisoned, you have to act quick. TTX is more well known for other highly poisonous creatures that carry it, the pufferfish and the harlequin frogs. One thing separating the California newt from the pufferfish is that the newt will maintain its poison even in captivity, something that the pufferfish does not do. Now the California newt's TTX is the thing that I find most interesting. Aside from being the first known amphibian to contain TTX, initially found in their eggs, the evolution of the toxin is truly remarkable. Over the course of the newt's evolution, its predators, especially the garter snakes of genus Thamnophis, apply to select a pressure on the California newt, selecting for those with more TTX. This in turn applied to selective pressure on the predators to develop more resistance to TTX. 
This caused an evolutionary arms race to rival the Dark Ones and the Antigoplods. That has continued to the point that the California Newt has extremely large amounts of TTX. So much so that it is far greater than what is necessary to kill the vast majority of other predators. Not sure it needs to be repeated, but don't handle these little ones in the wild, especially if you have open wounds. It only takes a tiny fraction of an ounce of the poison to be hazardous. Interestingly enough, I found a couple interesting statements in my research on the newt. 1. A bizarrely high number of people, namely more than zero, specified to never lick a newt. If never touch a wild creature didn't need to be said, I'm not sure what to say to someone who needs to be told to not lick wild animals. The other interesting thing is the, mo is the most bizarre measuring style I have ever heard. One encyclopedia quoted that one three thousandth of an ounce of the TTX extracted from newt eggs can kill 7,000 mice. I'm a little curious as to how they are studying this poison. In more usable numbers, that is about one ounce to be fatal to 21 million mice. Hopefully no one listening to this has a grudge against them. Though if my understanding of the papers is correct, it appears the amount of TTX produced by California newts varies not just by their region, but whether or not they were born in a pond or stream, though they all do have a staggering amounts of TTX. Other than their poison, the mating habits are interesting as well. They are most active during the rainy season, where they migrate to their breeding grounds. These newts will travel upwards of two miles to get there, a large distance Consider they don't grow much larger than eight inches at the high end. This trek usually has them returning to the ground they used the previous year. In the breeding grounds, the males usually arrive first for a breeding season lasting 6 to 12 weeks. Like other amphibians, the male mounts the female and wraps its legs around her, a position known as implexus. This is done while floating in the water for the California newt. During this period, the males enter an aquatic phase with smoother skin for hunting and general survival, while the females remain the same. Each female lays one egg mass and can remain eerily still while clutching their eggs. If you wander around trails in their habitat enough, you may see newt crossing signs, or even trail closures due to the migration for the mating season. The adult newt, like some other newts, does exhibit cannibalistic tendencies toward larvae and are immune to the TTX they produce, in a way that seems not to be understood yet. Interestingly enough, the larvae can detect and hide from adult California newts, a trait not seen with other larva predators. Climate change is having a strong effect on these newts. The longer and more frequent droughts have dried up ponds and streams that they require to survive. A biologist and photographer, Anton Sorokin, documented this in a particular stream over the years and saw the horror that happened to this pond as it dried up and the newts died. Another biologist, Lee Katz, tagged newts in the 90s and found that some of them are still alive today showing that these newts could live up to 30 or 40 years if their pond did not disappear. Newts have evolved for droughts, sure, but not consistent droughts with ever-warming temperatures. This is devastating development for this species and requires a lot of research. We also need to tackle the climate change problem so this doesn't keep on happening and getting worse. While not endangered yet, newts are classified as a species of special concern. The California newt and the Pacific horse frog are also facing threat from a hybrid of two species, the native California tiger salamander and the barred tiger salamander from North America. Unfortunately, this hybrid species also provides a threat to the California tiger salamander it came from. This is another example of why we must do everything we can to minimize the risk of invasive species crossing into a new area, and if they are there, 
do what we can to mitigate the damage they can cause. Otherwise, we might lose some of the distinctive species that we have. The larva of this new species causes many negative effects on these three species, including survival, as well as negative effects to size at and time to metamorphosis. While neither the California newt or the Pacific coarse frog are endangered, it has provided new challenges, especially with the disappearance of the newts in some ponds, which must be addressed. The California newt is an interesting amphibian. Every step of learning about them was more interesting than the last. Hopefully it can serve as a reminder for us to take a look around. You never know what you might see that you otherwise would have missed, especially if it looks rather unassuming. It also serves as another example of the devastating effects that we can cause if we're not careful. While they may not be endangered yet, they could be if we don't take a stand and try to minimize all the damage that could possibly happen to them. The final reminder is also one that will be repeated a lot in this series, one that cannot be overemphasized and one that cannot be denied. Climate change is wrecking havoc on the species and on the planet. While a certain amount of damage is guaranteed at this point, the effects of emissions are cumulative, which means every ton of emissions not produced will lower the harm we see. It is not too late to minimize the damage, and it is not too late to look for solutions. Just be a part of the solution. If you liked what you learned, share this with others, and remember to enjoy and respect the nature around us.